Hello and welcome back to the Rheumatology.Video podcast. Super excited on this podcast that we're on to the second of five in our AXPAR series, sponsored by Novartis. So thank you very much to them for helping us to create this series of podcasts all about axial spondyloarthritis. Hopefully you already went and listened to the first one, all about physiotherapy for axial spondyloarthritis. And this time we are talking all about AXPAR in primary care. So many questions do I get about blood testing, imaging, referrals, what to do with patients in primary care when AXPAR is suspected. And we get through all of it in this podcast. So once again, thank you very much to Novartis for supporting this particular project. And hopefully there will be a link in the show notes of the podcast or in YouTube or on my website to go and do a feedback survey. So if you wouldn't mind spending a minute or so, if you can find the link, clicking on that and just giving us a little bit of feedback, that would be super helpful. So for this show, I was delighted to be able to get Dr. Louise Warburton on the podcast. She is a GP with special interest in rheumatology and was ideally placed to talk to me all about rheumatology in primary care. We cover everything that you want to know if you're in primary care and it is full of clinical tips and gold. And I think everybody will find this extremely useful. We give plenty of links actually in this podcast, um, which you may well wish to check out. So anything that's mentioned will be linked in the notes below, um, the either the video or the podcast that you're li uh, listening to. So give it a click and you can go and find everything there, including the study days um, that Louise mentions. So make sure you go and see those. They are they seem like they're going to be brilliant. Finally, last plug for me, don't forget the Room 101 conference. It's at the end of April, in-person tickets in Manchester, virtual tickets as well. They're selling really fast. I suspect we're going to sell those out quite quickly. So if you haven't got one, go ahead and grab one. We've got eight, well, seven brilliant speakers and myself talking all about things rheumatology. It's going to be a really great morning and hopefully loads to be learned really excited the speaker list is brilliant i've confirmed all, all of the speakers now and i'm super excited so if you want to find any information or book tickets go to rheumatology.physio forward slash events so enjoy this podcast and hopefully learn loads about axial spondyloarthritis in primary care <music> Okay, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Rheumatology Physio Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Louise Warburton um, this evening for a record. We're going to talk all about rheumatology, um, especially axial spondyloarthritis in primary care, um, which is something I have a little bit of experience on, but um, uh, Dr. Warburton has a lot more experience on and a lot more um, um, information for us. Um, we'll hopefully get into a lot of detail. So thank you for joining me, um, Louise. Thank you. Um, so just to start us off, would you mind just introducing yourself uh, to the listeners, um, what you've been up to in your career so far and, and your interest in rheumatology as well? Okay. Hi, everyone. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a GP. I trained and qualified as a GP in 1990. So it's a considerable time ago now. So I've had lots of experience. And um, for about the last, well, 25 years, I have been working in rheumatology I started off doing um, a session in a local clinic in Shropshire 
once a week with a consultant. And then that um, morphed in 2006 into working in an interface musculoskeletal clinic. So that was about the time that the 18-week uh, targets were, were launched. And my local CCG wanted someone to do a clinic to try and reduce the 18-week wait. So I started doing um, sessions in a musculoskeletal clinic just with one other extended scope physio. Um, and the service has grown. So that's about 15 years ago, isn't it? It's now grown to be um, a massive service, really, serving the whole of the east side of Shropshire. So that's Telford um, with a single point of referral. So anyone with an MSK problem that might be even just for physio comes through our portal and the referrals triaged. And I um, work in the sort of rheumatology side of the pathway. We do have two consultant rheumatologists, but I would see um, anyone who's in that sort of gray area between, I, is this inflammatory or is it not? The people who are clearly looking inflammatory on the referral will go straight to a consultant. So, um, so I'm doing that now. Now I was doing that virtually full-time until recently I've gone a bit more part-time now. Um, I'm also um, an honorary senior lecturer at the University of Kiel. So the primary care um, sciences research department. Um, I'm a fellow of NICE. So I've been doing that for 12 months and I've just um, been successful in getting a post as the uh, speciality community trust research lead for the West Midlands because I work for a community trust and we've just started to become active in research. So, so I'm taking a lead role there. So, so that's my job in a nutshell. Fantastic. I'm, I'm amazed you found five minutes to speak to me this yes. evening. It sounds yes. very busy. Yeah. Um, so just just to go on, on on your department, because it sounds really interesting. Um, so are the patients screened first before they come to you by a GP or someone similar or is it self-referral? Um, no, it's not self-referral. It's a primary care referral. So they okay. see someone in, in primary care. So that might be a GP or a first contact physio. So we have some FCPs in our service who also work out in the local practices. So there's a nice link there and, and they, there's a lot of discussion goes on about patients. Should I refer this patient, et cetera? So they've all come from a GP um, or an FCP, but, but quite often during the pandemic, they were all telephone yeah. assessments. So not many face-to-faces, mm. which makes it harder for us. Yeah, I can imagine. I can yeah. imagine. And what's the kind of um, uh, how do I phrase it? The conversion rate, let's say, you know, of your referrals in, and then let we'll talk specifically about sort of rheumatology, but specifically to then a rheumatology onward referral. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there aren't many. About two or three percent go through to the rheumatologist. We get yeah. eleven thousand referrals a year. Uh, a lot of those are just for physio. Um, our orthopaedic conversion rate, so the number actually going on surgery who see an orthopaedic surgeon is about 80%. It's really good, actually, because they get worked up. You know, we'll do all the investigations. We'll try the treatments. So, but, the, the, yeah, the, the, although it's not much, 3%, is it? The, there's a huge, huge backlog at the moment because of the pandemic. And, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Um, it sort of leads me on to the first real question i suppose which is um 
specifically around challenges in primary care related to axial spondyloarthritis specifically. Yes, yeah. um, so have you got any ideas um, about, you know, any of those specific challenges really relating to that, those conditions? Yes, yeah. So, so back pain is very common, isn't it? Um, and, you know, 30% of GP consultations are about MSK issues. And there's loads of people coming in with mechanical back pain. And unless you, you know what inflammatory back pain is, and you can ask the right questions, it's really hard to pick up those cases. Mm. Um, and, and because they present insidiously, people, you can't remember when, when it started. Um, I, I think a lot, a lot get missed. And we, we know there's a big delay in the UK. It's 8.5 years is the current delay from first symptom to being diagnosed with an axial spar. So, so that's one of the challenges. Another challenge is that um, in my area, GPs can request spinal MRIs, but the protocol that they can request is not the inflammatory back pain one. Mm. So there's a special protocol using um, STIR images and T2 images, which look for bony edema, which GPs can't request. So um, they, they just, you know, they might get an MRI back, doesn't include the SI joints either, which is reported as normal. And they, they totally miss the diagnosis mm. then. And the patient believes the MRI is normal and they go away until they get another huge flare up or something else happens. So, so there's lots of challenges, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I always thought when I worked in secondary care rheumatology, I got 40 minutes for an appointment as well. Wow. Yeah. And I always thought, you know, imagine if I cut that down to 30 minutes, I'd probably be useless. And then, yeah. you know, I see things with GPs working to seven minutes or, yes. or, or whatever it is. And I think, you know, um, yeah. definitely difficult there, um, especially. Yeah, but it's all in the history, really. I think if, mm. if you um, can have time to take a good history, and you listen to the patient and it, you just get these, um, it's a sixth sense, really. Um, patients not telling you a, a mechanical story, that they've got fatigue, waking up in the night. You, you know, that should, your ears should prick up then. And, um, and, and that's the skill that you develop when you've been doing it for a few years. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, what I've noticed as well is people who have been on my courses, they tend to think, they tend to have seen a patient mm. um, and then and, and then it's been worked up and, and they've realised that that patient has axial spinal arthritis. And then they realise they don't know yes. all of the information they need to know. How yeah. much do you think, I know there's been there's been some research um, reasonably recently, so 2018 or so, when they, they canvassed GPs for their knowledge of associated symptoms and inflammatory back pain. Um, in your experience with those referrals coming in to your department, how much do you think is a lack of knowledge or how much is a is pathway challenges because they don't have much time or that MRI issue that you mentioned? It, obviously, I assume it's a combination of the lot. But yeah, yeah, it is really. And um, the, the people I've picked up have been um, the people with the less obvious histories. So, mm. so it's if you're a male and you're HLAB 27 positive, you tend to present it in your early 20s with more obvious features. But women, um, even the HLAB 27 positive women, don't have such obvious expression of the symptoms. And um, it may have just been grumbling on for years and people think it's fibromyalgia. Um, so, so those are the cases I've picked up about 
10 people like that in the last two years, mm. you know, who, who might even be in their 50s by the time I've diagnosed them. So, so it, it's, it's, you know, I'm not blaming anybody at all. It's really hard to, to pick these things up. Absolutely. And obviously we're sitting here with the specific interest in rheumatology as well. Yes. Certainly what I spend a lot of my time doing and I don't do yes. a lot else. And obviously GPs are doing all the other stuff as well. Even in your case, you're, mm. you're seeing other, like you said, orthopedics yes. and so on and so yes. forth. Yes. Um, so it's, yeah, I think it's hard to, when they are those needle in a haystack of those back pains, yes. and you've got to get into the nuance of those symptoms. Um, you've already talked about FCPs, first contact physios, a little bit. Mm. Um, what's your experience so far? With, um, obviously, it sounds like you've had, had them in your, your yes. department for quite a while, but they're obviously spreading out a lot more easily yes. over the country. What's your experience of their ability in this um, sort of space? Um, well, well, I've been um, training and mentoring the FCPs in my area, and I'm, I'm an accredited trainer. So I, I find, signed somebody off for their part one on Monday, actually. So all the, I think the FCPs in Shropshire have been indoctrinated, really. Uh, certainly the ones around Telford, they all know all about axial spondyloarthritis. And um, I get lots of emails saying, oh, do you think this patient might have axial spar? Um, so so I, as a group of clinicians, I mean, I, I think they're such hardworking, committed the uh, dedicated people because the pathway to get become an fcp is just so hard you know signing off part one and um, with all the different competencies that i was doing on monday i mean it's like trying to do gp training but but in one year you know and, and we had three years to, to do it so i've always been really impressed with the people i've worked with i think they're getting a bit of a raw deal out there in primary care because um that they're, they're not often getting the supervision that, that they should have, you know, the observed practice consultations that they need to sign off part two. And there's some work going on in our area at the moment, um, trying to, to get that a bit more, working a bit more effectively. Yeah, I can hear the pitter-patter of FCP feet off towards Telford. <laughs> yes, yeah. As they listen I, to this. <laughs> I, should, I should say as well that the Primary Care Rheumatology and Musculoskeletal Society of which I'm the education lead and a past president, we've done a lot of work in the last two years to support FCPs. And we've gained about 600 new, new FCP or APP members. So um, we do lots of training. And um, there's, have you heard of the diploma, the FSCM, mm -hmm. PCRMM diploma? There's another one coming up in May. So we're running a couple of study days, March and April. Um, 5th of March, 2nd of April, it's on our website. So, so um, that they are rheumatology training days, really, mm. as well as some orthopedics. Brilliant. We'll, uh, I'll make sure we link to those for yeah, um, thank you. on the yes. podcast. Yeah, so yes. that um, people can, uh, this will come out with enough time for people to be able to still book on those. So mm. um, we'll definitely do that. Um, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really glad that you're getting that kind of experience um, of the FCPs. Um, I think I, I get a but a different bias because people ask me to go and teach them about rheumatology because they feel like they don't know so much yes, about rheumatology, yes. which is great. It gives me a slight concern that not everybody works for you. Not everybody's asked, asked someone like myself yes. to go and teach them. And there might be a little bit of gaps somewhere, but yes, um, yes. 
I know that a lot of the work around um, it, from Health Education England and things I was involved in the little education program for FCPs as well. So I'm ho hopefully we're getting going up, uh, up and up. What do you think about sort of the um, uh, non-specialized GPs or ge generalist GPs? Sounds like a ridiculous phrase, but I hope yes. you know what I'm getting at. Um, a, a GPs on the same path to improvement, do you think? Or do they need a little bit more conjoling? No, do you mean for rheumatology? Yeah. Um, I, I think that the rheumatology training they get is often a bit lacking. And um, there, there was a study done some time ago now, about 20 years ago, asking GP GPs and GP trainees whether they felt their rheumatology training was any good. And they weren't particularly happy with it then. and and. Um, they're not they're not happy now um some research done in manchester shows it's very limited you know often just two days of um, dedicated rheumatology training where I, I was lucky in that um my third year medical attachment was on a rheumatology ward and then i had a house job on a rheumatology ward so so i learned loads about it then so, so we we could do more certainly um to educate gps and I'm working with the British Society for Rheumatology, who at the moment are, are keen to educate clinicians in primary care, whether that's GPs or FCPs. So, so watch that space. There hopefully will be some resources. Mm, excellent. No, that's really good. Um, so let's go and talk about um, some specifics um, with, within primary care. Um, and I want to talk about investigations, really. Um, so what I get a lot of specifically around primary care is what do we order what do we do with the information when it comes back should we order stuff mm. um and i have a variety of different answers that i give but i would love to get your answers yes, so i want yeah. to start at bloods we've already we've alluded to mri already but i want to yeah. park that for a little bit let's start with bloods okay. um, so let's let's make the, the case simple uh we've got a patient they've got clearly inflammatory back pain um let's say they've even got they've got a family history of AS. So it's pretty clearly obvious. So we're not yes, worried about any yes. red flags or any, anything else. What bloods are we ordering? Well, you don't get any specific inflammatory rise usually in early spondyloarthritis, axial spondyloarthritis. So you're not going to get any diagnostic clues really, but it, it's always worth um, doing the baseline bloods, I think, because you can turn up all kinds of things. So you, you may find an, a normochromic normocytic anemia in, indicating chronic disease. You might find an iron deficiency because they've actually got Crohn's disease and that was undiagnosed. So it, it's just a good baseline. So you don't have to do that. But when, when I'm triaging referrals that come into the service, um, I, I would always check if the blood tests have been done. And then, and then if, and I like to do a vitamin D as well, if you can get that done in your area. Um, I know in primary care in, in our area, that they're, not really, they're not very keen to do it. You've got to give a good reason. And um, the ones I request about, I'm not kidding, 90% are low. Mm. So um, I know the argument is you might as well just treat them. But um, if it's very low, you know, if it's below 15 um, or I think in our area it's 25 and they have to go on high dose replacement. You need to know about that, don't you? Mm. Yeah. So, so, so the, uh, we can't request HLA-B27 either in primary care. So I wouldn't bother doing that either. I would just refer 
to a rheumatologist or a clinic and expect them to do that. Um, just to be specific, our ESR and CRP? Mm -hmm. So again, I would request those, but, but I wouldn't expect them to be raised. Yeah. And I wouldn't sort of, you know, put too much um, emphasis on the results, really. Yeah. So that's certainly something that I see. Um, so in my second opinion work that I, I get through, I'll get a lot of patients clearly inflammatory history and then the bloods are normal. Yeah. Um, and and um, and then people haven't been referred or that yes. it's been suggested it's something else. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we, you're you're saying we should you know, order them if it pro if, if needed, yes. but actually if it comes back negative, you're not going to use that. It's going to be a little bit of clinical reasoning weight, yes. I suppose, isn't it? But not, yes. not as much as the subjective. No, no. And um, with rheumatoid, then, you know, the nice guidelines say refer, don't wait for the blood test, mm. refer, um, don't be, if it's a negative rheumatoid factor, refer anyway, if you've got strong clinical suspicion. Yeah. So, so okay. yeah, don't wait for the blood tests. Brilliant. Something I've become aware of recently is what's been phrased to me as an inflammatory blood screen. So right. apparently, apparently the uh, the way the bloods are ordered, they're on the computer and you apparently you tick inflammatory blood screen and it includes oh, things right. like ANA, rheumatoid factor. And yes. um, in my mind, I don't like that at all. It doesn't feel like it contains any reasoning process. Um, yeah. But is that something that you've experienced? And if people have got that, what would you suggest that they do with it? <laughs> well, well, the so the ANA is very problematic, isn't it? The anti-nuclear antibody. And um, <clears throat> the British Society for Rheumatology suggests that you don't request that unless you have specific features of a connective tissue disorder, because it can be positive in, in a low T to, with all kinds of conditions. And, and there's a whole load of referrals come into rheumatology. Just please see this patient with a positive ANA of one in 80. They've got no features of joint disease or skin disease, uh, and it just fills up the clinics. So I, I wouldn't take ANA unless you've got a good reason to do that. Um, certainly the ESR and CRP are useful. Um, I, I sometimes do a protein electrophoresis if the patient's got spinal pain and they're in middle age or older because I'm worried about a myeloma. I, again, I've picked up a few people like that. So I'm not sure what else would be in your inflammatory screen, but um, my yeah. my understanding is, yeah, <laughs> it's a selection that they sort of it gets. Yes, like I say, A and A rheumatoid factor. Even um, someone told me there's an anti CCP in there potentially. Yes, um, yeah, so that's useful. If, but but again, only if you've got features of of a peripheral arthritis mm. rather than a spinal one. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> definitely order specifically for the condition that you're. Um, yes, yes. That you're investigating or you yeah, are suspicious it, of. Yeah, and of course, when you're inexperienced, you don't know what to order, do you? And people tick all the boxes. Um, but try and avoid doing that. <laughs> absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, OK, let's okay. go on to talk about um, uh, imaging then. So we've talked about MRI. So let's let's start there. Um, you mentioned the MRI with a stir into <clears> two weight protocol not available in primary care um so are we saying mris no good for our axial spar patients or possible axial spar patients probably no good in primary care unless you can request that um, inflammatory back pain protocol mri 
<clears throat> I mean, you may be looking for other things. There may be a radiculopathy or possible disc prolapse or that type of history. Um, that, that's fine to order the MRI, I think. But again, we all know that um, I think 20 people were invited in for an MRI off the street. They had no symptoms. 90% of the MRI showed an abnormality. So, so it's a very poor screening tool, really. You're going to pick up abnormalities and then you, you don't know what to do with them, do you? <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's <clears throat> one of my concerns is, is you pick up stuff that either get then gets blamed for the symptoms, so you, yes. do you know what I mean? Or, or, um, or as you mentioned right at the beginning, it comes back completely normal and they get palmed off that way is yes. problematic. Isn't yes, it? yeah. Um, okay. Um, X-rays is a big one. Uh, yes. X-rays are seem to be fired off left, right, and centre. Um, give me your thoughts on X-rays for for our query AXPAR patients. Well, well, the spinal X-rays are a huge dose of radiation, aren't they? So I, I don't request them for axial spar. Um, I know the nice guidelines do suggest an X-ray of the sacroiliac joints. Yeah. But, but I would leave that to the specialist rheumatologist to request if they feel it would help. So um, the only, in our area in Telford, the only time you'll get a spinal X-ray is if you're suspecting a stress fracture or a vertebral fracture or some malignancy perhaps. The, the request will be rejected otherwise. So um, it, it's not worth trying. And I think that's, that, that's for good reasons really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad radiology are rejecting. Um, mm. <clears throat> um, even as two weeks ago, I saw a twenty-year-old um, female who was who had a, a pelvis X-ray. Um, yes. What, so what was that for then? Query for possible axbar. Right. And they obviously uh, came yeah. back normal. Um, yes. And um, and that, so they said, "Oh no, it's not that because <clears throat> you haven't got any haven't got any erosions in your SIJ." Was the yeah, so the ero erosions don't appear for ages, do they? Mm. So th there's a time delay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so we're not not really imaging. Um, what about um, um, any use for diagnostic ultrasound? If people, I know a lot of FCPs have got the ability to do that or have a GP. Um, yes. You know, if you've got a GP with uh, especially special interest in sports and exercise medicine. Yes, yes. Or, um, any utility in, in these patients for our uh, um, ultrasounding? Yeah, so I do ultrasound. Um, I've done the rheumatology ultrasound course. I think the only time it would be any use is a peripheral arthritis mm -hmm. and you people with emphysitis. So, um, you, you know, as part of the spondyloarthritis picture, you get dactylitis and emphysitis. Um, I had a lady last week who I think she was referred as a plantar fasciitis and, and I wasn't suspecting spondyloarthritis, but mm -hmm. then it was in both feet and she complained of a painful heel and I squeezed her at the bottom of her Achilles tendon and she nearly, nearly left the bed. So she was really tender. So, so I straight away did a scan and she'd got some uh, enthesitis, some calcaneal erosion. So it's really useful then because, I, you know, I would maybe not have referred her on to a rheumatologist. Um, but, but now I've got evidence that mm. she's got an enthesitis and does need to go on and be seen. Yeah. And how about so let's uh, let's change the um, let's take your lady with the with the bilateral heel pain. Um, yeah. So if I was sat in an FCP clinic and no, I don't do ultrasound and none of my GP colleagues have got ultrasound machine. Yeah. Waiting list for rheumatology is quite long. Yeah. Would you say 
is that worthy of a referral to radiology to do the ultrasound rather than to waiting through rheumatology or where would you sort of find that balance well first of all i do an assessment and um, presents with bilateral plantar fasciitis you know is there a mechanical issue here is the patient really flat-footed or overpronating uh, and again you'd be looking at the comorbidities so has the patient got psoriasis does she have a family history of psoriasis has she got ulcerative colitis crohn's ever had iritis ever had a previous swollen joint so the things that are in the spade tool yeah have you heard of that spade um it's quite hard to find on the internet because if you just type in spade obviously you get loads of pictures of garden spades but but persist you will find it spadetool.co.uk um, yes so. yes so um so so if she didn't have any of those comorbidities I would treat, just treat the plantar fasciitis first with insoles and exercises, you know, show her what to do. Um, and it depends on your waiting list, doesn't it? If she comes back and the feet are no better that, and you've got a shorter waiting list in, in x-ray for an ultrasound, then refer there. I mean, in our area, there's a six-month wait for a routine ultrasound in radiology. Wow, wow yeah. Whereas I, I can do one and my colleague ESPs can do one you know within a few weeks if it's urgent so it yeah. depends on your local area yeah I suppose it's worth knowing what the waiting lists are yes. for various so yes. you can make decisions like that isn't it? yes yeah real um I really think yeah I mean point of care ultrasound for me is something that I think is really super useful um definitely yeah, uh, like is, so especially yeah. with those peripheral presentations we just alluded to it a little bit there um i want to talk a little bit about pathways um mm -hmm. so rheumatology departments specifically i mean mm -hmm. it sounds like in your location pathways easy just uh fire them to dr warburton and we're and all, all's good um yes. but elsewhere especially if people got to go directly to rheumatology um have you uh, can you tell me much about the pathways that we should be selecting um, yes. yeah i know there's a lot of talk around you and um, some people have to ask me about spinal assessment clinics rather than rheumatology or um you know early arthritis clinics those kinds of things yes yeah so so suspected spondyloarthritis would go to an early arthritis clinic definitely so if you've got one in your area that's the place to go and, and they triage the referrals so if they're not happy they will reject it mm. um I, I would always if you're suspecting axial spondyloarthritis i would always go to rheumatology rather than spinal assessment um, and the British Society for Rheumatology recently produced some referral guidelines for, um, you know, people need to have these types of symptoms before they, they should be referred to rheumatology. Mm. And the, the axial spar ones are a bit based around the spade tool. So and the nice guidelines and again, asking questions about psoriasis and other comorbidities. So so. Um, and if you've heard of the GERFT programme, getting it right first time, yep. there's a big push to um, to stop anything non-rheumatological going into rheumatology clinics. So um, that's that's hard for us working in primary care, really, because um, if you've got a local rheumatology department who are going to reject anything that looks a bit in the grey area, it, it's where do you refer it then mm. you know, to get a reasonably good opinion? My yeah, I um, I've seen that obviously those um, those referral criteria might and they're great 
you know yeah um but my concern is like your patient you've just mentioned where they don't fit a specific criteria yes, uh, especially yeah. ladies who can present it, they could have axial disease but with widespread pain and peripheral symptoms and yes. um they often don't quite meet the threshold do they and that's um yes. i have i i definitely am a little concerned there when you have those grayer cases and often i say to a lot of people working prim primary care or certainly not in secondary care you know um it's those kinds of patients that are a real challenge isn't it um, it is and um have, having discussed this with the, the bsr yes yeah, so i discussed this with the, the BSR because I was worried about that as well. And um, they, they said you can always use advice and guidance to, to ask your local rheumatology clinic. But I think you just need to be well, you have to, need to have a good grasp of grammar and to be able to explain in your referral mm -hmm. what you are worried about and what you're suspecting. So um, I get lots of referrals that are just one, one sentence you know, please see this patient with back pain. And I, fortunately, we get copied in the last four consultations. But even scrolling through them, sometimes you can't find any more information. Mm -hmm. so, so I would stress that people practice writing good referrals, ask colleagues or GP colleagues, is this a good referral? You know, have I given enough information? And really, one thing to always say is, why, why are you referring the patient? Mm. You know, so uh, I'm, I am suspecting inflammatory arthritis would be a good opener, really. Or I am trying to rule out spondyloarthritis for this patient. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, and then it's easy for the receiving party to know where to come from. Yeah. I'm definitely the other end of the spectrum and I write two page referrals. OK. Any feedback for me specific? Like I write, you know everything um but yeah. i try to i try to have a bit at the end that's well, i do have yeah. at the end there's bullet points that say um you know like you just said i'm i'm referring yes, for yes. spondyloarthritis because x y and z yes um but do you see some of those as well where information yes. gets lost in the reams i do and uh, um i would always put put that those bullet points at the top so one of my esp spinal colleagues does fantastic letters because they're very long, but she always puts at the top, um, you know, her bullet points and what mm. the management plan is. And um, I, I wish I could be more like her, really, because because when in my GP letters to back to GPs, I, I always try and do that, put the bullet points at the top, because as a receiving person, you you may have fifty documents to read that day, so you just want the, the bullet points. So so it's good to have all the information. And, and it, you know, it gives me a message that you've you've bothered to take a good history and you've bothered to examine the patient. Mm. So it's more likely there's going to be something wrong. Yeah. I like to include the spade tool as well, because I think it yes. gives the recipient the idea yes, yeah. that you've asked the appropriate questions. Yes, um, absolutely. Because sometimes I'll see um, a letter and it will say that they've asked about maybe they've asked about psoriasis. But yeah. then, not as you mentioned, they've not asked about Crohn's or colitis or uh, iritis, for example. Yes, yeah. And then I'm immediately thinking, OK, I want to do this whole assessment again because yes. I'm not sure if they knew the detail to which I would want to know the answer to the question. Yeah. Um, what do you, you know, do you include the spade tool 
because uh, you get a little graph, don't you, and it says yes. recommended. Do you include any of that or would you suggest including? I think that's a good thing to, to do. Yes, definitely. Mm. And uh, you, you know that some EMIS systems, so uh, that, that would be great. And I know there is there is one FCP in Telford who does that mm. uh, and they send me the spade tool. So, so, yeah, that's really useful. So if you can do that, yes, please do. AI is the way, way forward, isn't it? It'll yes. start collecting the, this patient's got a password history of psoriasis, yes. now they've got back pain and it'll start pinging yeah. stuff up. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Do half our work for us. Lovely. And um, that's really, really awesome. Have you got any other sort of specific advice in primary care? So let's say someone's listening to you, to us now, and they say, you know, oh, I think I'm okay. I could recognise an obviously inflammatory back pain, but if it was a bit more nuanced, or a little bit more of a grey area, I wouldn't know necessarily what, what to do. If you've got any advice specifically, obviously go to the PCR um, um, yes. study days, but um, yes, yeah. anything, anything that we could give them pearls of wisdom now. Well, I would always screen for fibromyalgia as well. So um, you can, fibromyalgia often coexists with axial spar, um, and you, you'd be asking them questions about um, poor sleep, um, coexisting mental health problems like anxiety, depression, previous abuse situations, and is the pain, you know, they may have widespread pain, which isn't in joints. But again, that's quite difficult to differentiate from enthesitis pain. So, so the previous tender points for fibromyalgia, which seem to have gone out of fashion now, are also areas where you get enthesitis in the body. So, so the lateral and medial epicondyle, so, so um, using those, I'm sure there were loads of people out there who'd actually got enthesitis <laughs> and were diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So um, if you've got, you know, it's like a seesaw, really. If you've got most of the symptoms are on the fibromyalgia side um, and not much on the, to, to give you a diagnosis of spondyloarthritis, then try and manage the fibromyalgia aspects first. Yeah you know, to address the sleep problems, address the anxiety, depression. Maybe if you're an FCP, ask your GP colleagues to see them and prescribe something. Um, and then, then if that's not helping, you may think it's more spondyloarthritis, they need a referral. So, so what I'm saying really is that, that you can manage some of these conditions a bit in primary care. You don't have to rush and refer all, all those grey cases. Um, but but if, if the weighting is more towards the spondyloarthritis side uh, and re really I think it's the back pain isn't it so it's the inflammatory type of back pain is it better after resting or is it worse after resting and, and you could really drill down with a good history there that they need to see a rheumatologist yeah yeah. So, so if you don't have a local interface clinic, you're a bit stuck, really. I mean, can, <laughs> in Telford, you can refer anyone like that to us and we'll sort them out. <laughs> Wonderful. What about anti-inflammatories? Because um, yeah. a lot, again, obviously the GPs are prescribing. A lot of our FCP colleagues are prescribers. Yes. Is that something that you would say it's a good idea to do, don't do it or somewhere in the middle? Well, it's one of the diagnostic criteria, isn't it, for um, inflammatory back pain if they get a good response to non-steroidals. Mm. So it's really, it is worth a try of a, an, a proper dose of naproxen. That seems to be the safest one. 250 milligrams three times a day with PPI cover. 
And if you've got a good going spondyloarthritis, there really is a very obvious response to that. And it happens very quickly in the first 24 hours. So if your patient's not really had much improvement, then stop them. I wouldn't keep the patient on them long term because they all have side effects, don't they? Now, if in rheumatology clinics, they often prescribe non-steroidals, so they, but they would use a, a COX-2, something like celecoxib, um, because that's in the early stages of spondyloarthritis, axial spond, that is one of the first treatments mm -hmm. and, and it can be disease modifying and reduce some of the spinal um, bony changes. So, so I think the biggest issue there is G GPs are not keen to prescribe long-term non-steroidals. You know, they, yeah. they want to stop them after a few weeks and your local pharmacist or prescribing advisor may be chasing you up as a GP saying, why are you prescribing this drug for, for more than a few weeks? Mm. Okay. But, but if your rheumatologist suggesting it, then then you should use it. Yeah, sure. I get occasionally the question of uh, people saying, I don't want to because it'll affect bloods or it'll affect MRIs or it'll affect the reasoning because the symptoms are different when they get to someone like yourself. Have you got think, any problem with that? or Not with non-steroidals, but steroids mm -hmm. certainly can do that. Mm -hmm. So if someone's had steroids and you're doing an ultrasound scan, then, then it really changes the appearances and it, it damps down the inflammatory response. So, um, you know, I would not prescribe steroids in primary care unless you're absolutely desperate and you can't get a rheumatology opinion for six years or something. <laughs> I mean, I always suggest that you try and speak to your local rheumatologist and say, I'm, this patient's really struggling rather than prescribe the steroids. Can you see them quicker? So, uh, it, but, but there is a bit of a tendency to just throw steroids at everything in primary care, um, you know, so please try not to. Anti-inflammatories are okay, yes. steroids not so much, yeah. Okay. No, uh, well, only when, when you're sure that you know what you're treating. Yes, I have seen a few patients, you, you mentioned um, epicondylitis, and I've, I've yes. seen a few patients who have had a few injections over time, and it's made their other joints feel better and they almost go and have the injection because they feel better generally yes do you know yes, what i mean and, I, yes. and that's not a good start is it no um, not really wonderful well i want to thank you very much for this conversation it's been really um uh really enlightening and um really nailed on some of the information good, good. there for our colleagues just want to give yes. you this opportunity to uh plug anything or promote anything that you're doing um Certainly yes, PCR, yes. MM. I never yes. get the number of M's right. In yes, yeah. Musculoskeletal medicine, yeah. MM. <laughs> yes, yeah. So yes, we're um, we're teaming up with the Faculty of Sports and Exercise Medicine to do to run the diploma, MSK diploma for the second year. So last year about five hundred people took that, and it's just a knowledge based test. So there's there's no face to face examination techniques or anything. So um, it's it's considered a good sort of first step into specializing in the msk field so if you'd like to do that go on to our website or the fscm website and book yourself on um, we're doing two study days as well to help people pass the exam one on the 5th of march that's saturday and one on the 2nd of april the saturday they're online so um, again it's easy to attend really they'll be recorded so there's a lot of rheumatology in those um, the other plug I should say is versus arthritis. 
So uh, they have lots of um, really good learning resources on their website. And if you sign up as uh, part, I think it's called um, the professional engagement team, you can sign up there, you get all their newsletters, free access to all the resources. And they run core skills training sessions, which I do as well. Some of those are online and hopefully they'll be back face to face soon. So um, most FCPs and physios don't need that training because they know all about examining the musculoskeletal system. But, so, but, but there's some rheumatology in there, which is useful. Brilliant. Um, and finally, uh, Twitter, we've we've interacted yes, a few times. Yes, on Twitter, yeah, yeah. Um, what's your at on there for people to find you? Um, at, at Lubisha, so L-O-O-B-I-C-I-A which is quite hard to remember but um, it's a nick nickname i had at school because there were three louises in my class at school so we had to have a different name <laughs> really yeah but, the, but we've got primary care rheumatologists um, got a twitter handle our yes. pcr society um, so yeah have a look at, at our twitter feed there as well brilliant brilliant thank you very much uh, for spending this bit of time with me i think uh, Loads of people are going to find it extremely useful. And, um, good, good. I, uh, and you, you're uh, running a study day, aren't you, in Manchester? Correct, I am. Yes, yes. yeah, a few yeah. of my FCPs are going on that. So Yeah, Room 101, yeah. Yeah, the best thing about that at the moment is the title. I've just yes, uh, yeah. we came up with came up with the name of a conference, and then we had to run the conference because the name was was good. Yes, yeah, so that's uh, yeah. end of April. That is yes, yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.